0: Hello everyone, and welcome to EHS Tap. I'm your host, Justin Scase, Senior Editor of the EHS Daily Advisor. Now the environment, health, and safety profession is continuing to be shaped by technology and software, and sometimes it can be challenging to keep pace with all of these changes. On this episode of EHS on Tap, we're talking with two experts who can help you make sense of the digitization of EHS and compliance. Now before we dive into our conversation, we'd also like to take a moment to thank our sponsor for this episode, Gensuite. Gensuite is a configurable, best-practice, cloud-based software platform with a diverse subscriber group of nearly 300 companies and over 1 million global users that has adapted rapidly to meet the challenge to manage and mitigate the risks from COVID-19 in the workplace. With intuitive, best-practice workflows built by EHS leaders for EHS leaders, GenSuite's new pandemic response and risk management solutions are helping organizations mitigate employee exposure to COVID-19 and associated impacts. These rapid extensions demonstrate the value of implementing a robust and agile EHSNS digital management platform, one that can respond dynamically to new business risks and operational drivers. So to learn more about Gensuite, please visit www.gensuite.com. Now I'd like to introduce our two guests for today who will be our guides through the realm of EHS digitization, Natasha Porter and Christian Johnson. Natasha Porter is Executive Vice President and Customer Development Officer at Gensuite LLC, and she has over 20 years of experience in the EHS and digital solution field, taking on a variety of leadership roles. Christian Johnson has more than 25 years of experience as an executive risk management leader focused specifically on environmental health and safety, including EHS leadership roles at Avery Dennison and General Electric. So Natasha and Christian, welcome and thank you for joining us today on EHS on Tap.
1: It's great to be here, Justin. Thanks for offering us the opportunity to talk to you today about all this exciting technology out there.
2: Yeah, agreed. Thanks, Justin. Great to be on this podcast with you and Christian today.
0: Absolutely. And we're happy to have you both. Uh, So uh, first things first, if you could both please uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves and your backgrounds. Uh, What has your experience been like in the EHS field? And um, what sort of work are you doing now? Uh,
1: Christian, would you like to start us off? Sure. Well, as you said in the introduction, I've spent my whole career in EHS. Uh, It's hard to believe it's been 25 years plus now, and I've had roles both as a subject matter expert, particularly in topics like ergonomics, construction safety, electrical safety and lockout tagout. And I've also had leadership roles at both the single site level and at the global business unit level at the scale of multi-billion dollar business units. And what i've loved about my career and i'm very thankful for a few things one is the opportunity to work in different environments and so i've worked in fixed facility portfolios i've worked with dispersed field services teams that don't work in your own home facilities and i've worked with portfolios of construction projects and each of these carries a very different risk profile and i've also enjoyed the opportunity to work in multiple industry sectors you mentioned avery dennison Uh, I've also worked at Honda in the automotive industry and IBM in the high-tech space and most significantly at GE where Natasha and I worked together for about five years before Gensuite spun out into this independent, very successful entity that it is today. And right now I'm focused on thought leadership, specifically in three areas. First, the broader adoption of technology in the EHS space. Second, Advanced data science applications, and I'm really excited about that. And then third, human and organizational performance concepts. And I'm actually thinking about really the convergence of these three and how they can be best applied to reduce and manage EHS risk in the work environment. That's great. And and Natasha, how about you?
2: Well, thanks, Justin. Um, So, yeah, I started my career actually as an EHS practitioner, uh, working on implementing a number of different EHS programs and and similar actually to Christian in uh, both fixed facility and service settings. So that really kind of challenged me to be thinking about what are the risks and needs that frontline users have um, out in the field and, and how we need to develop EHS programs and subsequently digital solutions to meet those needs. Um, when I started my career, I also had an opportunity to be part of the core uh, group and team that was working on developing a digital software platform that uh, makes up what Gensuite is today. So, I've been really with uh, GenSuite in a number of different uh, roles and aspects over the last 20 years. So, I've held um, different positions as a compliance assurance leader, a master black belt focused on process improvement, and also a program leader responsible for developing and deploying Gen Suite solutions across a number of different business um, teams, or with a number of different business teams in General Electric. And Justin, as you had shared, my current role is as the EVP and Customer Development Officer for GenSuite. And now I get an opportunity to work very closely with our existing subscriber community to ensure that they're getting the most out of GenSuite and also to get an opportunity to talk with new um, potential subscribers that want to explore and learn more about GenSuite. And as Kristen also shared, um, you know, we had an opportunity to work together for a number of years, and Kristen was instrumental in helping us design and develop an ergonomic facilitator application in Gen Suite. And now we're having some active discussions on uh, analytics and the next frontier of using artificial intelligence engines to be able to provide insight. So um, it's been really great working with Christian um, when we were both in GE and now in both of our current roles as it relates to digitization and frontier technology.
0: That's great. Yeah, Thank you both for that, uh, for your backgrounds. Uh, So today we're talking about digitization and its impact on EHS performance. So could you tell us a little about what we mean by digitization? Uh, What sorts of technologies are we talking about here?
2: Yeah, so I can kick this part of the discussion off. Um, You know, I really think about digitization being focused on converting information into a digital format. And you have to have a goal or objective surrounding that. And I think digitization is about improving the efficiency of business processes, driving consistency, and ensuring that you have quality um, in that business process. And I'll, I'll share actually a practical and a personal example of when I started my career in EHS Uh, And this was before uh, we had a software solution and a digital solution to help manage um, quarterly data metrics compilation. So I was responsible each quarter for uh, reaching out to about 80, 90 facilities worldwide in our service business and compiling uh, records and information surrounding injury and illness cases, hours worked. And other aspects of uh, EHS programs that we were tracking. And that process took probably about three, three and a half weeks each quarter to reach out, compile data, do data verifications, talk to site leaders to ensure that the data calculations were correct, to compile all of that and then generate injury and illness rates or other rates and things that we were looking at. You know, I think about it now and how simple that process has become, if you have a software solution for managing injury and illness cases that helps you do that along the way, along with hours worked as an example, it can be a click of a button to generate that report or to get that rate once a quarter or frankly more frequently, once a month or you know, real-time data, depending on how quickly you're putting that information into the system. So the amount of time back, thinking back to the business process, driving consistency, quality, and providing efficiency, that's just, I think, a simple example of software. And that's one example of a digital technology. Now, I think we've got the benefit of being able to access and use mobile phones for um, gathering data at the point of entry. Um, utilizing tablets, sensors, wearables. There's all of these different technology solutions that I think really make up digitization today that can provide a lot of power uh, as folks are looking at driving efficiency, consistency, and data quality.
1: Yeah, Natasha, I I tend to think about the same way. I, I think about digitization as either taking information you used to record manually or information that you maybe never captured, and that's now being turned into a digital form. You know, in its simplest uh, format, it's ones and zeros. But then you're able to draw insights and actions out of that data that you've gathered to help you manage whatever part of the risk equation you're dealing with. And you know, I, I the mobile tech, the technologies you mentioned are definitely out there, are definitely growing. And I think about things like geolocation. Bluetooth technology so we can pinpoint where people are or trigger actions just when you walk by, for example, with a mobile device in your pocket. And then, um, like I talked about in some of my own personal research interest areas, you know, the whole advancing area of data science, which basically now that we're digitizing and gathering these voluminous amounts of information, what tools do we have in our toolbox to allow us to more quickly and efficiently analyze and draw insights out of that digital data?
0: Excellent. Uh, Now, one thing uh, that I was curious about, you know, advanced technologies, and Natasha, you mentioned these uh, very briefly just a little while ago, things like artificial intelligence or uh, the Internet of Things, image recognition. You know, we hear about these all over the place, and uh, these are becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, Can you explain how and uh, the effect that it has on EHS digitization?
2: Sure. Sure. So, you know, as we've been talking, I think it's it's really exciting to see all of these different types of technology around us. And the key is to think about how can we leverage and utilize these different types of technology to harness more data and information and use it, um, mine it effectively and provide more real-time insights, and then translate that um, and think about how some of those insights can provide you know, warnings to avoid potential incidents or issues from occurring. and i'll I'll give you a, an actual example of something that we're working on now with one particular type of technology. Mm-hmm. So specifically image recognition. We have been doing some um, business case pilots and creating a solution called Jenny Vision. And the idea behind this is to be able to use, you know, security cameras and image recognition to detect risks and hazards before they turn into and become an incident. So one of our subscribers has situations where um, they will have trucks pulling up to filling stations and a driver might hop out of the truck, you know, uh, put in the, the gas pump and use a wallet or a device to hold that trigger handle open and allow that truck to be filled. Well, that's obviously a potential hazard because you're overriding that um, gas pump trigger and it has a potential for a spill that could occur from that. So imagine if you could use image recognition and train an image recognition solution on different scenarios and images that are what shouldn't be occurring versus what should be occurring, test run that, and actually have an end result where Jenny Vision has a very high level of precision on being able to determine when that risk is present, especially in an area that doesn't have a lot of individuals um, around. You know, you've just got one individual that's coming in to fill up a truck. so. If you think about the the potential there to use, you know, security uh, cameras and technology and image recognition, and be able to teach that type of a solution what it needs to be looking for, you get, again, a lot of efficiency, data quality and process improvements back, and you also eliminate that hazard from actually occurring. So that potential spill doesn't occur when you can get that notification that you have a hazard present that needs to be addressed. Christian, anything to add on that?
1: Yeah, I I was just going to say, I think, you know, Natasha gave a great example of image recognition and the power of some of that too, is that you can utilize existing image databases to help, you know, connect your software to cloud services, to harness computing that others have already done. Mm. And, you know, another example that i can think of from my one of my personal areas of expertise is ergonomics you know in the old days it would be a pencil and paper and a clipboard you'd go out to the factory floor you observe some people working maybe use a vhs video camera you know to record uh, you know minutes or maybe even more of video now today you could hook up a sensor to one or more employees you could have automated video motion capture and maybe you might even have access to some kind of artificial intelligence algorithm that would actually be analyzing that, that motion and posture data in real time, and maybe even throw off a warning to a worker that says, hey, you're, you're working in an uncomfortable position or posture for more time than you should, and uh, you may want to stop and, and rethink how you do that job. And that's another example of the Internet of Things, where today the sensors are connected through edge devices to the Internet. All that data is being thrown off. And I know we're going to talk about it more later, but it's, you know, how do you, so much data, how do you choose what you're going to analyze and what you're not and what you're going to be predictive about? But it's just really exciting stuff.
0: So what areas of safety management are most affected by all of these developments that we're talking about right now? Um, How is digitization changing
1: the landscape? Well, I, I'm, I'm happy to take a crack at that. Natasha, I'd be interested in your thoughts. I, I, I think it really isn't limited. Mm. Um, it can range from things like the mundane tasks that Natasha mentioned before, like just making record keeping and reporting easier because you've got digital processing or maybe even digital capturing of some of that data available to you. And then it ranges to the more advanced, like predictive analytics, um, learning from the data you have, and predicting future outcomes based again on the historical data that you have. And you know the landscape today makes more data available to more people. And that of course creates a paradox because I think in the most beneficial sense, it's what I call the democratization of data. So more people can draw their own conclusions or analyze that data. And you can put that data again in more people's hands. On the other hand, it can just be overwhelming at times and and can create you know almost an information overload situation. So I really think that all areas of safety management are affected by these developments. And depending on your organization and your level of creativity and interest, there's just so many directions you can go with it.
2: Yeah, Christian, I, I couldn't agree more with your comments. Um, you know, I think digitization has and will continue, I think, to impact all of these areas of safety management. Um, and give EHS professionals so much more time back that then they can use to focus on identifying the next set of insights or a potential focus area for improving worker safety. And you know, I think I think back to just the, you know the twenty years that I've spent in EHS and digitization, and it's constantly changing, which has kept me in it for so long. And it's always something kind of new and exciting around the corner, something to you know, a new challenge to work on or a new type of technology that is coming into the fold that you need to think about and figure out how can you harness um, the benefits of that technology and really leverage and utilize it.
0: So on a sort of related note, what do you both consider to be the most pressing challenges facing EHS professionals today? And how are digital solutions seeking to improve the way that these issues are addressed?
1: Well, I think from both being a frontline EHS professional in a single facility to managing teams of up to 300, you know, I think the reality of business today is like it's been for many years now, where we're expecting, you know, fewer people to do more. So you're trying to do more with less resource. In the environmental health and safety field, there's a huge complexity of compliance when you think about any topic, waste, air emissions, water management safety, all the different technologies uh, that are in today's work environments, and how do you comply with all these various regulations. And then a lot of times, unfortunately, because data is more democratized, uh, especially frontline EHS professionals can be faced with a lot more reporting burden. And I've been on both the giving and the receiving end of that (laughs) in my career where, you know, I've heard from teams, hey, Christian, you know, you're asking us to report just too much. Uh, let, let us figure what let, let, Let's discuss what's most important and most critical and we'll report that. And, and so I think that's one of the press. Th- those are just a few pressing challenges. Um, we already talked a little bit about the fact that digital technologies do allow broad adoption. Um, we've already talked about the fact that automated data input and processing can reduce some of that reporting burden. And then I think, again, you know, in the old days and I think still in, so, in many organizations today, unfortunately, there's what I would call like a funnel effect where at times an EHS professional, because there are fewer of us and there are of others, uh, can be a funnel point. And so if all the data entry and analysis burden is flowing into that single individual and we haven't used more distributed, you know, form completions and allowing, giving others to pa- the power to enter that data and it's all still resting on us, we've got a problem. So to me, that's the promise of a lot of this digital technology is it relieves the EHS professional from a lot of that uh, uh, front-end data capture burden.
2: Yeah, Christian, I'd like to add um, some thoughts there as well. You know, I think as it relates to the most pressing challenge EHS professionals face literally today, I think the pandemic also is is a big one. I mean, the worldwide pandemic that... We're all experiencing, and I think this huge shift that we've seen with a large number of EHS professionals that have become the front line for pandemic crisis management support, in addition to all of the regulatory and compliance requirements that they have historically been responsible for, is definitely adding a lot of pressure and, and stress and and also I think creating opportunities for EHS to partner um, even more closely and tightly with HR, medical and operations teams to really make all of this stuff happen. So I think when people are faced with pandemic constrained operations, doing even more with the same or less people, technology becomes even more important and I'll give an example here too of what we've been talking about uh, with our subscriber community, specifically as it relates to auditing and inspecting. And I think historically, pre pandemic, folks would have the opportunity to travel to different locations and support cross compliance or multimedia audits or support inspections and be able to do those activities in person. I think now we are faced with very much having to do a lot of these activities virtually. So what we are kicking off a pilot, we've done some development work over the past two months on this, and we're getting ready to kick off our pilot next week is on a solution called GenSuite UConnect. And the goal with this is to provide an application-based collaboration and remote expert or auditor engagement solution. So imagine you're in your GenSuite software, you are conducting an inspection or working on a part of a compliance audit and you have questions or you're not sure how to proceed, you can go in and look at which experts are available for certain topics, who's online and who you can um, automatically engage with quickly. So what we're really thinking about is how can we continue to expand and leverage these technology solutions to keep experts and and team members connected together, especially when we're facing so many different types of travel constraints and restrictions with being able to do this type of work in person. The needs are still there. The regulatory and compliance requirements still need to be met, but how can we leverage technology to meet those objectives and ensure folks have the questions to the answers they need?
0: Yeah, definitely. Some very big challenges there. Um, Now, Another challenge on on the uh, on the software side of this is Christian mentioned it briefly a little while ago. Many organizations suffer from data overload. Uh, you know where they're gathering these vast amounts of data, but they might not quite understand what it means or what to do with it. So, how do we make sure that we're properly uncovering the key trends from this data and putting plans of action into place? based on that insight. Uh, Christian, you mentioned that before. Anything to add on, on data overload?
1: Well, again, it's, it's a recurring theme because you've got data coming at you from so many sources now. And when I think about it, first, you have to know your data. So you do need to invest some time apart from maybe the rinse and repeat, so to speak, tasks you may be doing with your data to report monthly trends or something like that. So you got to get out of that mode and you got to kind of ask yourself, okay, how well do I know my data? What do I have? What don't I have? And then be a little bit curious. Uh, you know, the term I've learned recently is data wrangling. You know, get get, get a little bit, wrangle your data into a form. Uh, think about uh, getting, how you can get comfortable with a little bit more analysis of your own data and really use your curiosity to help guide where you're exploring with the data. Because if you took a look at your calendar and, You know, 80, 90 percent of your time is just spent capturing, inputting, publishing, maybe those regular reports that you're accountable to get out. Uh, I remember when I was doing this in a recent role uh, that in an organization that I had newly joined, monthly report time comes up. Okay, two days of all that wrangling and reporting and publishing and you're exhausted at the end of it. You have no time or energy left to actually reflect on the analysis. And so I think it's incumbent on all of us, despite those pressures, despite that data overload burden, to be curious, to know what you have, what you don't have, explore it a little bit. And then I think also really step away from the data and then also say to yourself, hey, what questions do I want to ask and get answered with this data? And then that can help guide where you spend your time.
2: Christian, I love your reference to data wrangling. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna be using that a lot moving forward. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll share a couple of insights just from what I've seen recently um, from our subscriber community as well. I I think you know it really it really goes to the the data wrangling point and kind of having having a goal and objective when you're analyzing your data. I think where I've seen folks be very effective at taking large volumes of data and being able to do something with it is when they have a goal or objective in mind, you know, set a hypothesis, wrangle your data, get all your data organized and together, go in and run some tests and then determine, did it work? It is, am I meeting the objective of what I had set or helping to answer and improve that hypothesis? Or is it not really working and you need to move on and try something else? So I call this really an, an iterative approach that you can take when you're looking at your data. And where I've seen a number of different examples across subscribers where they do this iterative approach, they are very successful at being able to analyze and get quick insights and results from their data. I think the other piece that's really important, especially now with the accessibility of information and data is to look at not only just the EHS data and information that you have available, but what other data sets can you connect and uh, correlate together like operation specific data, or it can be you know environmental, literally temperature data. What other data points do you have that are relevant to the hypothesis and thing that you're trying to test. And you know one great example I saw um, from one of our subscribers was the use of looking at production scrap volumes, so how much waste was being um, generated from a production line, and contra- comparing and contrasting that against incidents that were occurring in a facility. And their hypothesis was that as production scrap volumes increased, so would incidents. So they combined both of those data sets together, ran a series of tests, and proved that there was a statistically significant correlation between those two data sets and that operations really wanted to get a handle on improving um, scrap volumes and reducing them for obvious reasons. And obviously, EHS wanted to get a handle on where they had higher risks and potentials for incidents. So they created a fantastic dashboard that combined these data sets together, and that was used as part of their weekly operating rhythm to set thresholds and look at when production scrap got over a certain level that that threshold trigger was hit and the teams really needed to get together and figure out what was going on and how they could get ahead of it. So I thought that was an excellent example of how you can really take data sets, do some testing, iterate on the approach, and then be able to get a fantastic output of that that provides really, really good insights for decision-making.
1: And if I could just add, that that's a good example of thinking about adjacent data and thinking about what other data in the organization can you connect and back to the point about overload there's a ton of production data but maybe there are a few variables of interest so how can we bring those in and connect and analyze and see what we get out of it very interesting now anecdotally
0: we've seen some resistance to widespread implementation of technology in the ehs space uh, usually what we hear are things they're almost cliche you know things like We've always done it this way, or <laughs> upper management won't give me the bl- the budget. Uh, so, how would you respond to these various hesitations and obstacles some professionals have regarding the digitization of EHS, Natasha? I'm sure that you deal with this all the time with customers. Uh, what what are your insights for overcoming these obstacles?
2: Yeah. I mean, every every business is is different, and we, I, you know, I still hear it today. It surprises me when I meet with um, new folks that are exploring software solutions, and you know, they're still using Excel spreadsheets. And it, it really just mm. depends where the business is. But what I would encourage folks to think about and do is go back to what is the goal of digitization. And I talked about this earlier. It's three things: looking at improving efficiency of business processes driving consistency and ensuring quality of what you're doing so if you're proposing some type of a technology solution software or tech solution you've got to think about and define what are you trying to improve and I would suggest doing some type of a proof of concept or a pilot to be able to show tangible results that's probably one of the easiest ways that I've seen folks be able to debunk the you know the the point of I we don't, we don't need to do it um, differently. We don't really need, you know, have the budget for it. If you can do a very small focused pilot that does not require an enormous budget to get started, allow frontline teams the opportunity to either purchase one or two pieces of technology, maybe a beacon or two or a sensor and trial some things and get some early adopters that can share their stories and the results, I I think that can be hugely beneficial and really be a game changer when you're faced with um, kind of resistance in terms of uh, software or a technology solution.
1: Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, Natasha really hit on it. And I think we've talked about it already earlier, which is, you know, pilot testing at small scale, show proof of concept, a lot of packages um, these days you can get free trials on to demonstrate the value if you don't like it, move on to something else or you can implement something more out of the box without a large scale cloud deployment that gets really complex and you can show business leadership the advantages that come. I think another um, risk sometimes is that sometimes you get what I call what a colleague of mine likes to call the shiny object factor, which is you can get enamored with a new piece of technology or a shiny object just because it's cool and new. And I think that applies to digitization as well. You don't want to digitize just to digitize. Um, But as I said earlier, you you can really uh, leverage the power of having an application that everyone uses to input or capture data the same way to really expand engagement, democratize the input process, democratize the data that's available. And what that gives you, it gives you the power of getting more people involved and acting on that data. And you don't get that when as often um, when you're just managing something from a spreadsheet.
0: So let's say we overcome the obstacles and we get to uh, some form of implementation. So what does successful EHS technology implementation
1: or digitization of EHS, what does success look like? Well, I'll, I'll take a first crack at that one. I mean, Natasha talked about that each customer is probably at a different phase of maturity. And when I think about it from the organizations that I've been part of and the business units that I've been in, I, I would look for a couple of things to say that, uh, success, that, that, that we've got successful implementation. So I would say one would be, does the business unit or group or company have some core technology that they've really broadly adapted well and are using at scale? So they're kind of wide, as I would say, across the organization on some common things where there's benefit almost everywhere in the organization. And that could be some of the rudimentary reporting and capturing of metrics that I think we've alluded to earlier. And then balance that by does the organization have some champions? Does it have some people who were thirsty or hungry or curious about really taking some more special technology and going deeper on it? And so I recall one that I think Natasha is also aware of where a couple of business units in GE Uh, looked into a wearable device that could detect hazardous levels of electrical energy. And of course, you're not going to deploy that across a massive company globally overnight. You're going to go to the parts of the business where there's the greatest electrical risk and see where you can get some people to adopt it early. Um, So I view it, Justin and Natasha, as really signs of broad adoption of some core technologies that you kind of continue to improve upon while having... You know, the ability to do these smaller scale pilots and experiments and give local operations the freedom to use specialized technology to help them with their local needs. What do you, what do you think about that, Natasha?
2: Yeah, I, I agree with with Christian's comments. Um, and I think that one other thing I guess I would share, which is a subset of what Christian talked about, is ensuring that the frontline users that are engaging with that technology are happy and they like the solution is super important. Because if the if the frontline users aren't engaging and using that technology, there's a pain point, or it's not meeting a current need, you're never going to achieve broader adoption. So um, there need to be kind of overall measures of success that you're looking at for technology implementation. But you also need to have a good connection point in with those frontline users to say, how are things going? You know, is this working for you? Um, What feedback do you have for us? Because if if frontline users engage and uh, get on board with using that technology, what you'll eventually see is they will come around to and start suggesting where you need to go next and provide you with the next um, set of ideas of things that can be done more efficiently, more consistently and drive better data quality.
0: Excellent. So I'd like to talk about something and Natasha, you mentioned this is one of the biggest challenges naturally right now. Uh, The COVID-19 pandemic, it's drastically changed the way people are working and much of this change has been a push toward as we've described it today, digitization, working remotely, virtual meetings and trainings, that sort of thing. How do you think the current situation will alter the way work is done in health and safety specifically?
2: I think this is really going to push technology and digital solutions to the forefront even more. And uh, you know, if you think about just adoption and use of mobile technology in industry. Um, you know, we've shared and showcased some timelines of, of that with our subscriber community. It's probably about a four to five year time range where mobile you know, phones and tech started to come out and then you start to look at adoption um, you know, and use from a personal perspective and then just this you know, boom in industry and, and manufacturing and service settings. That four to five year time window I see being shortened significantly um, and really a big push to get solutions that work now and in, in it and are effective and put them in place quickly. And again, to give some examples of what our subscriber community is currently talking about right now, um, you know, it's Needing technology for temperature scanning and doing that in batch or um, having small groups come in and be able to do temperature scanning quickly, looking at tracking exposures and contact logs, looking at processing and translating large volumes of constantly changing state requirements on what you should and shouldn't be doing. And I mean, that's happening daily you know, ensuring that sites have a good handle on pandemic and operations, critical PPE and inventories. I mean, the list kind of goes on and on. And doing all of these types of activities without technology is a real challenge. So I think identifying kind of in your industry and where you are in your business, what your priorities and needs are, and quickly assessing what type of technology can help you, I think will be a really significant game changer.
1: Yeah. And I would just add to that, that because so much work is being done remote right now, you need the technology more than ever. So take the temperature scanning, for example, you know, if you could have that thermometer hooked up remotely so that that data is being recorded automatically, you know, the person who might need to analyze that temperature data or to want to track the trends isn't going to be the one sitting there in the facility where the temperature is being taken. So the ability to, you know, get that data, up to the cloud and get it in the hands of others who aren't there locally um, is becoming more and more a requirement. And the COVID-19 crisis has forced a lot of businesses to make those transitions even faster than possible. You know, as EHS professionals, we're you know I just always love going out in the field and walking on a construction site and climbing up in the you know work that's being done or going out on the shop floor in a factory and it's a very you know physical kind of touch feel see career that Natasha and I have lived in and I think the other thing here is that you know if and when things return to some sort of normalcy how well are we going to trust the remote teams in the field to do some of this and I'm I'm hoping that that trust level uh, goes up and remains high. And we use some of these remote auditing and capturing techniques to just get business done more efficiently versus always having to jump in the car or jump in an airplane. And maybe we'll get to some kind of balance.
0: Since you mentioned it, when things return to some form of normalcy, do you think that these adaptations that were implemented during the pandemic will be taken up as permanent changes going forward? Or do you think uh, many organizations just go back to
1: old, business's usual ways of work. I'll give you one quick example. I was talking to a former colleague just two weeks ago, and she was explaining about how they had used AR, augmented reality technology, to train 4,000 field engineers in a period of a couple of months on energy control and lockout tagout. And they had uploaded you know, equipment drawings and so forth into that AR application. And the old way of doing it would have been to bring those field engineers into the business's training center house them in hotels for days at a time and fly them all back home. And mm. I would bet a dollar <laughs> that <laughs> they're not going to go back to the old way of doing it, or it's going to be a blend. It's not going to be all the way back to the old way of doing it. That, that AR technology has now been proven. It's efficient. Uh, to Natasha's point, if the frontline user likes it, that's going to stay. What, what do you think, Natasha?
2: Yeah, spot on, Christian. I, I don't have anything else to add to that one. That was an awesome example as well.
0: Okay. So before we sign off, uh, any other key thoughts, uh, Natasha and Christian, uh, any key thoughts or points you'd like to make about digitization and
1: how it's changing the face of safety management? Well, I've got one that I we talked about a little bit, but I wanted to expand on it. So okay. I'm really interested in how advanced data science techniques, particularly around unstructured data, are going to help us get more insights and help reduce risk in the workplace. So if you think about it, the old way and the way we still gather a lot of data is it's categorical. So think rows and columns in a spreadsheet, variables that are yes or no, drop down menus, you know, kind of data that's got, you know, three to 10, you know, possible values and that's it. Well, the new way is the unstructured data. So imagine an injury and illness report that used to be somebody just checking a box about date and time, body part injured, potential cause, recordable yes or no. Imagine that. Now imagine a different way of doing it where you just have someone record with their voice a descriptive narrative of the incident. That voice recording is quickly transcribed into text and then some type of advanced natural language processing algorithm or nlp analyzes that narrative which is unstructured data it's just it's just text it's it's narrative text and you know some of this work is being done today in the political environment and in social media to analyze you know which way sentiment is leaning and i'm really excited about just how much possibility there could be around applying a lot of these again advanced data science techniques to analyzing the unstructured data, because we've gotten pretty good with the structured data. We can graph and chart the living daylights out of a spreadsheet with 10 variables in it. This unstructured data just really gets me excited.
2: Yeah, so I think, Justin, um, you know, Christian is framing up our next podcast topic right now. We we'll <laughs> go another forty-five minutes to an hour just talking about this, because this is this is an area that we've been doing a lot of work and piloting in over the past uh, two years. And uh, GenSuite has actually partnered with a management analytics firm to develop and test an artificial intelligence uh, engine, so an AI engine solution, specifically focused on potential serious incident and fatalities. So what uh, folks uh, would refer to as a SIF or a PSIF. And being able to identify high risk incident types that correlate with those SIFs. So we just, uh, it's hot off the press, if you will, uh, shared the results of the pilot that we've been running with this AI engine um, on GenSuite data a couple weeks ago during our uh, virtual annual customer conference, and the results are really, really exciting. You know this this AI engine can comb through large volumes of injury and illness case descriptions, as uh, Christian said. You know unstructured data; it's just a description that somebody's providing in in that case, and then determine with a percentage certainty which cases are truly PCEFs, and provide insights to some of the key underlying hazards and hidden risks that might not come out of just a standard uh, chart on um, different types of injuries that you know might be categorically identified with with the actual case. So again, thinking about what the benefits of digitization and what that brings to an EHS professional, and you know, typically you would spend a lot of time reviewing and combing through that data to figure out what some of those underlying hidden risks are. Now you can teach an AI engine to start doing that and then, uh, coach and train that AI engine to get smarter and smarter at making those determinations for you. So I think there's a lot of potential there, and hopefully we'll get a chance to do another podcast with you to talk more about that.
0: Yeah, That's great. Wonderful. Thank you again very much, Natasha and Christian, for joining us on the podcast and giving our audience some excellent insight into EHS technology, software, and digitization.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Justin. Really enjoyed this discussion today.
0: Thanks, Justin. This was great. You're both very welcome. It was a pleasure having you today. And we'd also like to, again, thank Gensuite for sponsoring this episode of EHS on Tap. For more information, please be sure to visit www.gensuite.com. And as always, we appreciate our listeners for taking the time to tune in today. Be sure to keep an eye out for new episodes of EHS on Tap and keep reading the EHS Daily Advisor to stay on top of your safety and environmental compliance obligations, get the latest in best practices, and keep your finger on the pulse of all things related to the EHS industry. So until next time, this is Justin Scase for EHS on Tap.